This is episode 13 of the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger. Over 1,100 people have downloaded the show so far. I am so excited. Anyway, let's get it. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the web's leading source of audio entertainment. I've been a subscriber of Audible since 2011. I go through probably north of about 100 books per year on that platform. It's really incredible. A couple of quick books that I recommend to you. Uh, There's a book called Daily Rituals uh, that I've listened to several times. It's actually really interesting. It's a sort of a profile book about 161 different artists, playwrights, painters, philosophers, scientists, mathematicians. And basically it's about a one to two pager in the book on each of those 161 people about what are their daily rituals, the things that sort of keep them in their frame of mind. Just a really interesting take. You've got Charles Dickens, Pablo Picasso, Leo Tolstoy, George Gershwin, Karl Marx, Woody Allen. Like it just really touches a lot of really interesting bases in this book. I really highly recommend that one. And then also The Ascent of Money is another really great book. It talks about the basically the evolution of currency from all in all of its previous forms up to the international monetary system that we have today. It's a really interesting sort of uh, go-between to sort of show where human evolution has gone sort of along the path of currency evolution. It was actually a really interesting take. That book was by Niall Ferguson. Really interesting book. You can get a 30-day free trial of Audible if you go to the link smallmoves.co forward slash audiobooks. That will give you a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook. Um, I highly recommend the two that I suggested, but feel free to get whatever book you like. Anyway, that being said, back to business. Today, I'm interviewing John Pastelow. John is one of my best friends. He and I have known each other since 2004. He has actually a really interesting take on something that is really fascinating to me. John is a financial advisor with Ameriprise Financial, but more than that, I'm sure you all probably know someone or several someones in your world that are like this, but that you just sort of don't quite understand on your own. Um, John is that guy who just kind of seems to do everything for everyone and be everywhere all while somehow maintaining a relationship and maintaining a job. Um, He is more active in the community than nearly anyone that I have ever met. He's got a great take on how he's able to do that while maintaining a highly successful financial advisory practice with Ameriprise. And the, the, the take that he's got is actually really interesting. He has a very, he has a unique screening process for sort of how he decides on what, 
community outreach projects he works on. Um, he has a very interesting criteria for that, uh, more, more than anything else, sort of centered around the fact of whether he can actually legitimately bring value to that organization using his inherent, uh, skill set. Uh, I found, I found the take really interesting. He explains it much better than I can, obviously, right here. Uh, so with no further ado, I bring you John Pastelo. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Um, so I was getting into your background a little bit um, during the intro for the audience, right. but I want to let you sort of expand on it a little bit. I mean, you're working with Ameriprise, you're working mm-hmm. as part of a part of a team with Ameriprise right. now. Um how did you get into that originally and just sort of tell people a little bit about what you do now um, on sort of a day-to-day basis? Okay. So uh, I'm a managing partner, financial advisor in a franchise of Ameriprise Financial. Okay. The franchise uh, is my, my partner, Mike Shuck, Shuck and Associates. It's his franchise that I'm the junior partner in. Okay. Uh, So how did I get into that? Uh, Geez. In college, Loyola, I was a graduate of Loyola College at the time, not university. I was a finance major and a philosophy minor. Uh, I suppose the best answer for you is going through the financial courses. Uh, I don't know, a spark got lit that I was interested in that career path. Mm-hmm. Taking an internship with a company, I learned that I didn't want to be more on the, uh, uh, the, the stock trader, broker side of the story. I wanted to be more of a financial planner. Mm-hmm. I wanted to understand... Why was somebody doing something? Why was somebody not doing something? Why would I recommend or not recommend something to somebody? I, I want to understand. Essentially, mm-hmm. is, is the point I'm making for you. As opposed to a stock trader, as opposed to a stock trader, which is just that person calls and says, "Stop, buy, sell." Okay, done. Yeah. Uh, so I want to have a bit more of an understanding of what was going on with that. So, graduating college, job interviews. I'm sure you know. Uh, <laughs> one one company at the time sort of seemed the most attractive to me, and graduated college. Started studying for my licenses, and that was kind of the glide path. Uh, okay. I was initially uh, an employee, so I was had to show up at certain points in time. So I had certain things that I had to do based upon a, a manager's criteria. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the way the company structure worked at the time, which may or may not be the same, I don't know. And just to clarify, this is Amer- this is Ameriprise. At the time, it was actually uh, American Express. American right? Express Financial That's Advisors. right. They, then um, they spun off Ameriprise. Correct. Got so it. at the time, I was an employee, um, and what I realized is I... I I guess I was under the impression or the mindset that if I had to show up, not had to, but if I had to show up to the office or for a meeting at 9 a.m., we'll say, that I wanted to be productive. I didn't want to sit in a, a boardroom and hear about someone else's trials and tribulations or successes. I didn't really care. That wasn't my, that wasn't making me money. Sure. And I realized that when I went back to my office and said, you know what, at a certain point in time, I'm walking away from this. I need to start doing stuff that, that impacts me. Uh, and the way that the company worked is you had to make certain parameters, certain numbers type of mentality. Sure. One big number was basically a five-year mark. Okay. And that five-year mark was for the 401k that I had at the time. Mm-hmm. That was basically the cliff vesting. So any of the matching that I got from the company wasn't vested until post five years. Five years. So five years was pretty the mark co- Pretty common with most big companies. Correct. Yeah. So the five-year mark was something that I, that I had. And in coming close to that five-year mark, uh, I started talking to folks that were in the uh, the franchise, the non-employee world, trying to get an understanding of what was here, what was there, who would I speak with deeper. Um, 
One lady, uh, Mary Beth, I asked if I could sit in on a meeting with her, one of her meetings with one of her clients, or uh, it was actually a prospect at the time, as it were. And I sat in with her, and as she was going through her conversation and her rhetoric and questions with the prospective client, mm-hmm. uh, I'm taking my notes and trying to see how I would go down the same path this way. And at a certain point in time, she said to the client, so John's going to be your point person on this, and just went on with her conversation. When she said that, my name's John, obviously. I, I assume she meant someone in her office. So I didn't even think <laughs> twice about it. Well, at the end of the meeting, she walked the client out. She came back in. She said, well, how do you want to work this? I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean work what? <laughs> do you mean I'll go through my notes with you? Is that what you mean? She's like, no, no, like splitting the compensation. I'm like, this is your case. Just, yeah. so, so long story short, yeah. yeah. So she essentially handed me the client and said, there you go. Um, well, this lady, Mary Beth, I was planning to talk to her deeper and deeper about joining her office as part of the franchise that way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, lo and behold, um, one of my friends was taking me out for my birthday. Uh, and the VP at the time in the office, we were, he and I were pretty good friends. It was his last day in the office. He was doing something different, moving on, what have you. Okay. So the three of us went out to, uh, to this place for some cigars and some bourbon. Okay. And as we're talking, one of the VP's friends, Mike, showed up randomly, Mike Shuck. Okay. And the VP Greg said, Mike, you know, John's looking to go into the franchise world. Maybe you, okay. should, you should, you guys should talk. So long story short, I joined Mike's office. Okay. Um, as I was a, I was in his office, but I was sort of doing my own thing. I was still my own independent person. Sure. Just in his office. And what I realized was that, uh, kind of the analogy wise is that my, my business ladder was not keeping up with the corporate wall. If that makes okay. sense, meaning that my business wasn't growing to the to the level that the corporate needed me to have for certain mm-hmm. payout structures. Got it. So okay. I had the conversation with Mike, and Mike honestly was on the uh, I would say that Mike was sort of on the flip side of that story, <clears throat> where his ladder was right at the threshold of that wall, <clears throat> but depending upon a market dip or a client passing away, all of a sudden he would kind of drop below the highest payout level. His his level, correct. Sure. Got it. So what we decided <clears throat> to do was just kind of merge. Let's merge the practices that way. It kind of boosted me and it guaranteed him. Okay. Uh, so that was, kind of, uh, I don't remember when that was, but I've, uh, that was, I graduated college in 01. So I've been with this company now for 16 ish years. Okay. Um, that's essentially the glide path of how I got to where I am. Okay. So nothing and special, hard work, I suppose. At what point did you make that transition from corporate to independent? Like when did you go and work with um, Mike's office? So if uh, let's say if I, if I graduated in 01, roughly speaking, 01, so there was a five-year cliff. So let's say 06, six. roughly so speaking. Six. Okay. So I've been with in, in Mike's office with Mike, randomly speaking, for 10-ish years. Okay. Um, the major thing for me was I needed to have... Uh, I, I need to have independence. Sure. I need to have the, the thought process where I, I have a pretty good work ethic. Mm-hmm. I don't need someone telling me to show up at a certain time and do a certain thing. I needed someone that I could learn from. Mm-hmm. And where other friends of mine, same tenure, maybe the same age even, they decided to go off and be independent as well. I sort of had a, uh, I don't know, a gut check question that said, why would I go into uh, – uh, a franchised practice with friends that are of the same tenure, maybe the same knowledge level, give or take certain mm-hmm. parameters there. Um, but why would I do that? What am I going to learn from that? Sure, like there's there's camaraderie to be had. For so sure, right? So did I did I want to did I want to go part of a frat house? Did I want to join that scenario? Got it. Got it. And when That's I a great what, analogy, what I realized is that no, I didn't. I wanted to go into a position where uh, I could learn from the person that I was working with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as a more or less like from the senior to the junior mentality, which is sure. what I'm looking at. Uh, the other thing that was sort of, it, it came to me a while afterwards, but had I gone into that same practice with my friends and peers that way, the other thing that wouldn't be there is them getting out of the business anytime soon. So acquiring their practice, for example, or taking over their practice, that was nowhere on the sure. horizon. They were your age. Like they, my age. They, it didn't happen anytime soon. Assuming, assuming they were equally as motivated as you were, Correct. they'd be in this business. For, you'd be able to buy them out in 40 years when you're about to, you got to retire. Yeah. Exactly. So with, with, with Mike, it was a bit of a different story. I knew I could learn from him. Um, and, and I knew, and not to be selfish about it, but I knew that at a certain point in time, him being older than me, that, that was a reality in his mind as well from a succession planning sure. standpoint. For so, him. For him. Like, yeah, forget about you for a second. I mean, it's it's a great scenario for him as exactly. well. So, uh, I don't know. We've been working together for a while. Uh, I have my autonomy. I I mean, we're not in the office right now, obviously. So, I have Clearly. my autonomy to be in the office, out mm-hmm. of the office as I please. Um, that's that, that's that's what that's what I want. It, I want it to be... Uh, not, not per se the entrepreneur, but I wanted to have that flexibility that the entrepreneur has. Sure. Yeah. Cause per se, I mean, you're, you, you're an, you're technically an employee, you're technically a corporate employee of the franchise business per se, right? right? I mean, you're, you're partner in the business right. now. So that, that's expanded. Like initially, initially you were an employee in the franchise and that's expanded to being a partner. Correct. So, but the autonomy was the same then as it is. Doesn't now. make a bit of difference in his mind. As Got long it. as I, as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, mm-hmm. so be it. Yeah. However, you get it done, get it done. That's a great model. Like it's it's so it's so it's so rare finding people that actually buy into that model that still have some sort of attachment to a corporate structure in any way. Right. Like what what's there? Like for example, in in for financial planning, like you're you're under the technically you're still a franchisee of mm-hmm. Ameriprise. The, being a quote unquote true entrepreneur, you would go out and start Shuck and Associates Financial Planners and independent company completely unaffiliated yeah. with Ameriprise. And that would be the full on entrepreneurial route. True. But yeah. as long as the franchise arrangement allows you to have freedoms that you want, but also gives you corporate backing yeah. and all of the good things that comes with it without necessarily the bad. Yeah. Like why not? I say why not? You know, that's it's interesting you say that because this the the, the time that we're in right now uh, has has made uh, has made that distinction quite clear. What I mean by that is this: is that I'm not sure if you yourself or the listeners want to know, but the Department of Labor has rolled out a lot of new requirements. As a short word of saying it. And a lot of the more, um, as you were phrasing, like the more independent, the more specific entrepreneurial uh, businesses. Mm-hmm. Either A, can't keep up with that uh, or don't have the sort of corporate oversight and structure to help them accommodate with that. So what, okay. I'm, what, I'm, what I'm finding is that while, yeah, I'm, I'm part of a franchise of a corporation, yeah. th- that that is starting to really shine in a beneficial way, mm-hmm. meaning that to understand, I don't know, I don't even know where it is, a 600-page document and all the nuances of that, I don't have to read that. I'm, I'm basically... You get the two page with information. You get the two page memo. Do. You get the two page memo from the corporate le- yeah, compliance here's the department. Orders. This is what you have to do. Like Correct. you don't need to know the seventy eight pages as to why you need to implement rule A. You just need to here implement, implement rule, a. rule A. Correct. Got it. So that that's that to me is a huge attribute. Uh, Whereas with a small practice, like they need to hire their own lawyer and pay them five hundred dollars an hour yeah. to read that six hundred page document and then tell them what to yeah. do. So it's a, a, being part of that franchise. I mean, just like I guess the. 
being part of the, the, a Subway franchise. Sure, or franchise a franchise, sure. You have a certain structure that's in place for you to to succeed unless you only fail on your own. Yeah. So I'm, I'm finding that as a, as a rewarding position to be part of. Uh, and the interesting thing is, is, again, I have my autonomy to do as I need to do. And if mm-hmm. I need to ask uh, or look for help from a corporate standpoint, it's a phone call or email away, which I find really attractive. Sure. Um, but that's, again, I, I think from my own independence, it's allowed me to do things. So I, I, you know, early in my career, it was the, you know, eight to eight mentality. You know, I was grinding every day, weekends and this and that. And I, I, I think I found to a point where, okay, uh, I, I can take my, that's my so foot off the gas. Yeah. That's only, and it's only so productive. Yeah. Or you can only stay productive in that framework yeah, so long without sacrificing other things like your health in right. a lot of cases. Yeah. I think at a certain point in time that the hamster in the wheel needs to step out and survey the landscape. And that's, yeah. that's what I found is that, yeah, you know, I was working those long, tedious hours and sometimes it was just being the long hours to, to, to be there at that point in time to know that I put in those hours just as a, a self gratification, if you will. Mm-hmm. But then at that same point in time, you know, I was younger at the time, lost friends, uh, lost girlfriends just because I'm not around I'm not doing anything I'm sure I missed out on you know cool trips to go to place X or place Y mm-hmm. but, sorry I had to work but uh, sorry I had to work I'm you know I'm building a business I don't have a 9 to 5 job It's yeah. there's a difference there and that's yeah, sure. unfortunately uh, and unfortunately I guess the, the 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 early mindset that I had was adapted to that I realized that this was a career not a 9 to 5 gig it's not a job Correct. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, I, I'm not sure if maybe in some people's minds that career and job go back and forth in, in a synonymous standpoint, but there is a big distinction. You sure. Know, someone's job, once it's five o'clock, whatever time it is, they punch their card and they're they gone. Can, they can check out. I sure. mean, for me, frankly, even sitting here right now, I got stuff rambling through my mind about stuff I got to get done. <laughs> and that's, that's not where I think another person could be if they, you know, during a lunch break, I have other stuff that I'm doing. I can't yeah. imagine that the time that I've, taking a lunch that wasn't either at my desk still doing it <laughs> or at lunch that there wasn't a thought or a conversation that came back to the business standpoint. Yeah. And or you're having lunch, but you're meet, you're having lunch with a client or correct. a business source yeah. or a networking partner of some way, sh- in some way, shape or form. Yeah, it seemed like there was always some level of, uh, of, of business being folded into that outlet. Yeah. I don't know how or why, but it was always there. It's always in the mind. And uh, it, it's it's a hard thing to, to break away from. Yeah. And I think at this point in time in my my life, my career, I've found, I guess I've found the, the work-life balance is you know kind of a cliche way of saying it. Mm-hmm. But I think I've found that. And I don't think I've found it as, as well as I could certainly find it or maybe as well as others have found it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've found that place where I can, I do my stuff. And then once I walk out of it, I'm sort of... I'm done with it right now. I'll mm-hmm. deal with it tomorrow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting career to have. It's just it's, it's interesting that 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 brings up a similar point to back in episode seven of the show. I interviewed a buddy of mine, Arvin and uh, mm-hmm. Arvin Butram, and um, one of the points that he brought up was that the he likes the idea he likes the term um, like he does he doesn't necessarily like the term balance like as it applies to say work life balance yeah. He likes the term more like harmony because very, very much like in a musical aspect, you've got a really loud instrument playing over here, a really loud instrument playing over here and a really loud one over here, all playing at the same time. 
it shouldn't work. It shouldn't make sense, but they're, they find ways to work with each other that actually makes it work. Whereas yeah. when people think work-life balance, they're like, okay, I'm perfectly balanced between my work, my work life and my home life. Well, that kind of means your work life kind of sucks mm-hmm. and your home life kind of sucks, right. but at least it's balanced and you're giving a hundred percent. So 50% to each and you're done. Yeah. Like, no, like there, it, it sounds like the, the franchise model, the more entrepreneurial sort of model toward like viewpoint, I should say towards your career allows you to build efficiencies into both areas of life where you can actually seemingly give a hundred percent to both sides because you, it's like you can focus on your personal life when and where it really actually matters and you can focus your professional career in the areas where it really actually matters right. and not on the fluff that's required a lot of times when you have a nine to five job or a typical corporate job. I don't necessarily want to knock a nine to five job just for, because thing. yeah, I mean the, that, that lifestyle is great for a lot of people. There's a lot of people that love the men, the ability to just check out right. and do I wish I had that ability sometimes myself? Sure. Right. God, I'd love like I'd love to at five o'clock on Friday not think about my work ever until nine a.m. Monday morning. Yeah. That would be wonderful to do sometimes. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's, as, but, as, as you're saying that the 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 you and the focus on the franchise aspect of stuff. I mean, it's it's worked well for me. I have friends that are in the business that they're not. They're still on the employee side of the world because that fits for them. Yeah. I think the reality of it is, and this is not just in this this uh, this genre of this career finance, but I think it could be said for anything, is that 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 square peg and that round hole has to be defined for that individual. Sure. So I just don't like having a manager overlooking what I'm doing. I can, yep. I figure it out myself. I know what to do. If I yep. need help, I will ask you. Yep. Other and folks, that's you. they need the direction. Yeah. That's, that's, there's not a right, wrong answer, but I've found, um, I guess I, I, the balance is the right word, like you mentioned before. I think I have found that harmony. And yeah. it's not always 50-50. The scales won't always be balanced. There's mm-hmm. always going to be that give and take in some angle, the push-pull. Mm-hmm. But I think that w- once, once the mind has realized this there's a satisfaction on this side of the fence and there's a satisfaction on that side of the fence. Sometimes there's more that has to be done to, to achieve that satisfaction on mm-hmm. the left versus the right. But you know, at the end of the day, it, both it, of them are going to... It balances out. It works. Yeah. Both of them are going to get their due attention. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's funny, like the, the getting back to the whole balance thing, like more like the invalidity of the, of the idea of balance mm-hmm. is that <clears throat> oh, when I remember when I remember when Carrie and I got married, like that, the, the cliche advice that you get, it's like, you know, it's like marriage is a partnership. It's got to be a 50, 50 partnership. Otherwise right. it's going to be, you know, it's going to be slanted and you know, it's, it's not going to end up working. And like, it's not 50%. It can't ever be 50%. I can't imagine ever a marriage being 50%. Sometimes it's 90-10. Sometimes yeah, it's sure. 10-90. Right. Sometimes it's 60-40. Sometimes it just, it depends on the day. It depends on the week. It depends on what's going on. Right. So yeah, I think, like, I think yeah. the, the wording, I think the wording balance tends to indicate 50-50. In yeah. most people's minds, it's just exactly. the they, they envision the, the scale, like the symbol of the scales of justice yeah. where everything's perfectly balanced. I'm like, it's not really like that all the time. Yeah. So I think it could be more of so I guess the vision that I have of where we're thinking unbalancedness, not 50-50 per se, is like the seesaw where the fulcrum could be in the middle. And sure. That is 50-50 or sometimes it's fulcrums on one end versus the other because of yeah. situation circumstances. Yeah. No, that's, but, you know, it's, that's uh, a great analogy. There is a, there is a very <clears> – <throat> I, I think a lot of times people get caught – 
in, in the own, own, their own preconceived mindsets of how they feel things should be. <laughs> and until you step out of that box or you have a different thought about it, you just trudge along. And I'm, I'm happy that I've been able to, to find that, I guess, you know, quote unquote balance within things. And again, it's not always 50, 50, sure. if there's always something else going on. And especially that, I mean, that's, that's saying that there's two things involved. Yeah, exactly. that, when you throw in a third or fourth, a third. or fifth thing, then yeah. all of a sudden balance becomes the, the teeter totter thingy, whatever it is. <laughs> uh, that's so uh, that, that's where it throws in some more complications. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. No. So one of the, one of the, so it sounds like, the, going the entrepreneur more the entrepreneurial franchise sort of a route for your career, the the freedoms that that's allowed for you, like what, why was that important to you? Like what you like you mentioned, it's di- it's different for different people. Yeah. Like why why did you care about having that freedom versus say a friend of yours who doesn't need right. it or doesn't want it? Like what why was that important to you? Uh, I'll, I'll answer the why question in my mindset now. Okay. Meaning, meaning that at the point in time, I really had no idea. Yeah, no, okay. yeah um, no clue. Okay. <laughs> but but I mean, you mentioned something. You know, for the person that has the nine to five job, they know, and it's just not to take this as a knock against anybody with that, but you know, at a certain point in time, it's five o'clock, your job's done, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can walk away. Well, sometimes on Friday, I, I leave at the office at two o'clock. Sometimes I leave at eight o'clock. Yeah. But I have the autonomy to make that decision of doing that. And I, sure. that, that carries forward to, I mean, right now. I'm not in the office right now, yeah. and it's you know it's a Thursday at one o'clock. Yeah, it's Thursday at one o'clock so, in the afternoon. So I've given yeah. myself the flexibility to do what I need to do, and why that's important. I, I think it just allows me to to let my mind breathe mm-hmm. when it needs to, um, focus on other things when it needs to and wants to, and then realize that okay, I can pick up what I need to do at a different point in time when I've made that point in time in my mind. Not that it's uh, a random point. But I've calendared and said, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm doing this right now. Think about this. At another point in time, later in the day when my calendar says do this, mm-hmm. I'll think about that. Yeah. And I realize that at a certain point in time, my mind's not in it anymore. And there's no point in just staring at a screen or staring at a book. At a certain point in time, you know what? It's 3 o'clock. I'm done. Damn with it. I'll pick it up. Tomorrow morning on a Saturday morning, I'll be at my own office and I'll be doing some or later tonight at eight o'clock after after I get home from dinner. When I when just, I feel like something yeah. is able to be picked up again, and have my true focus on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So the what are what are some of the things now? I guess now is probably the best. We'll start now and then we can work our way backwards if you want to. Sure. But that that type of, that type of freedom, obviously. Like the the analogy that you just gave is like I can't focus on this right now. My head's just not in it. What do you like to use that free, that freedom of time for? Like one of the things that I know about you and that I mentioned during the intro is that you are one of the more active people that I know with regards to community involvement mm. that I've come across in my entire life. Well, thanks. I have no earthly idea how the hell you make time to do it. Um, because it seems like, like it's a, it's the old, it's the old, it's almost like the old marketing strategy where people, that's called a London blitz. I don't know if you've been familiar with that strategy where it's basically if you're marketing a product or you're marketing a service or whatever it is, and it's all sort of centered around something of a launch date, like it's a product or a new office or whatever it is where you market intentionally in a way where it looks like your face is literally everywhere mm. at the same time. That's kind of the impression that I get with you like okay. on, on social here at the center club, just everywhere. Like it seem you seem to be on every group, every committee raising money for every different thing from everywhere. Like 
I don't know how you still work with, with the amount of things that it looks like you do. Right. Like, I don't know how you still have time to meet with clients or to develop plans for clients. I don't know how you do it. Like, how how are you able to manage this, this type of stuff? And, wh- and why do you do why do you do the stuff that you do? Um, well, the, the, the first question of how I honestly, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's I mean, there's not per se a recipe that says, oh, put block A here and block B there. That type of structure. It, it feels sort of like the, the you've heard it before that if something's important, you'll make time for it. Sure. That you and I have both noticed that everyone at some point in time either has heard or said themselves. I don't have the time for that. I'm so busy, blah, 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 as it may be. And it just, maybe it just is an awareness factor that said, you know what? Everyone's got the five minutes. Everyone's got an hour out of their day, no matter how busy they feel they are, to do something, to commit time to some other endeavor that isn't just focused on them or their businesses, something along those lines. So the how I think it is, and again, I'm just kind of frankly making this up as we talk, but I think the how that it is, is that, I busted my butt early in my career mm-hmm. and it didn't give me time to do any of that. Sure. Um, the person I mentioned before, I'm kind of spin this story back to, to the answer the question, but the, the VP at the time that I was telling you about that took me out for some drinks and cigars, Greg, Greg and I, uh, I guess got buddy, buddy, you know, the VP and the young guy in the office every once in a while. Um, actually, frankly, every Friday, uh, it was either his turn to take me out for Chinese food or my turn to take him out for Chinese food. And I learned a very, very important lesson with that is that while he was further in the career, making a lot more money than I was, sure. I could still buy him a $5 thing of Chinese food and pick his brain. And it made me, how do I phrase this? It made me as sort of like the younger green person in the office all of a sudden bring my mentality up to that same level <laughs> that now it wasn't VP to young guy in the office. It was peer to peer. Okay. And I learned that quickly that that was important. So that way it kind of gave it to a bit of a bit of a, a confidence level. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we were doing is finishing the Chinese food. And there's a little bookstore right next to where the Chinese food place was. And every, every time we would go, we'd go in the bookstore and one of us would buy a book, right? Um, it could be a business-related book. It could have just been, I don't know, a book about something or other, right? Well, one of the books that I picked up from this bookstore, it was called um, – it was a very thin, almost like a children's-esque book – and the title of it, when I actually frankly meant to bring it today, was called How to Be Rich. Okay. Okay. Well, off the title of that, you expect it to be about how to be rich, right? Mm-hmm. Well, as you read through the book, it was kind of a dialogue between two young children. And the, 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 the bulk of the book was essentially this, is that, well, Jason, are you breathing? Yes, you're rich. Rich. You have all of your uh, all of your extremities. Yes, then you're rich. Mm-hmm. So and so forth. And, and what that did, maybe this is the philosophy background from school, but it made me aware that said, you know what, dollars and cents, that's one measure of richness. Mm-hmm. But also having this ability to go out and have lunch with the VP, that's making me rich. Or the ability to say, hey, you know what, uh, there's something also outside of this business in my life that could also make me rich. Mm-hmm. And randomly. Somebody nominated me to do something for a nonprofit. I think it was actually a friend of mine through the club, baby, that nominated me to be doing something for cystic fibrosis. And I didn't realize at the time where that would take my, uh, I guess, my philanthropic travels. I didn't really push a lot of effort into doing this, but I kind of saw that there was some other stuff that way. And that led me into different angles. But I think that to get back to the how aspect of stuff, I've sort of realized that there's ways to structure your life that other pieces can fit in. And whether it's the granular pieces or the family and life and church and whatever else you want to say, mm-hmm. there's a certain 
order that you need to put that stuff into. That if you put all that stuff at the bottom of it, you're never going to be able to fill everything else into it. So for me, my mind, I guess my mind and almost my calendar in, in, in a living sense is almost like a Venn diagram. So I have my personal life, I have my, my business life, and I, I guess in a sense, I have my philanthropic charity life. And each of those independently take up a ton of time. But, but how can I get those circles to cross over? Mm. So, perfect example. I have some meetings today at the club later on, but guess where we're meeting? So yeah. all of a sudden, I've got a twofer. Not, you know, not the wrong way, but it's got me all of a sudden, I'm here, I'm going to be here later, let me get a bunch of stuff done, by the way, before this conversation and after this conversation, I'm going to go back to doing my work. Yeah. So I found this harmony. I found this spot, this location, this balance that I can accommodate three things at once. Three areas of life all at the same location, yeah. basically. So how do I do that? Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just so happened to work out that uh, we could meet here. We're being facilitated to be here. I have a quiet spot I can do work from. It just so happens with with my job and maybe my uh, the structure of my job that basically I need my cell phone, I need my laptop. Mm. I don't really need much more else. Mm. I mean, again, like we we're talking before, I'd love to have my two screens in front of me. To sure, work better, of course, yeah. But I've got the information that I need in front of me, and I can do that same type of stuff. You could be hyper productive if you were somewhere else, but you can at least be productive while you're here. Correct. Now, and again, the productivity of stuff is that's between, let's say, for example, the work, our conversation, and stuff I need to do later tonight. A, B, C. Mm. I've got three things wrapped into that same productivity. Mm-hmm. So those, each of those can be productive on their own. Okay. Now, the second question I think was the, uh, the, the why mm-hmm. does that stuff happen? So from the philanthropic angle, why I think it might lead back the, to the, the re- and the reason I asked that question, the reason I asked that question mm-hmm. is it see, it seems like from the outside and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, I it seems like, <laughs> it seems like the, like the, the type of work that you do in the community is incredibly varied. Like yeah. it, it does, it's yeah. not necessarily focused on one thing. Like most people, you know, if they're if they have time to do anything in nonprofit, it's schools sure. or it's the mentally ill yeah. or it's housing back. You know, it's housing or whatever it is or feeding the homeless. But it's that it's that one thing. You've got a, a heck of a portfolio of, of things that you focus on. Right. Like what, why did it like, is the diversity part of the strat, like is the diversity part of the strategy or is it just the right person asked or do you just actually give a damn about that many different things? What, like what, what is it that's sort of driving the diversity of the stuff that you do? Let's start there and then we'll kind um, of dig into it. Yeah. All those things. Um, I think it's maybe it's, maybe it's my mind that maybe I have a sense of, ADHD. I just can't focus on the one thing. Welcome to the club, I, sir. Because <laughs> I, I realize that if I every everything at a certain point in time is interconnected. Yeah. So if I focused on one aspect of stuff, what else? What else am I not missing? And there's different organizations that I that I've worked with and am working with. I guess organizations I will work with in the future. Yeah, at a certain point in time, something came across the desk or a conversation. That led to the interaction. It could be as a simple as a, um, hey, I have this opportunity. Would you be interested in, in helping with it? Or, hey, there's there's this that's happening. Would you want to be part of this? Uh, and all, all of this, I think it gets goes back to that Venn diagram mindset. So how did I get involved in A charity or B charity? How did I get involved in that? It could have been right time, right place. It could have been 
you know what, I've seen this enough on the news or, or, or out on the street and I'm tired of seeing it and I want to be part of the solution and not just part of the, the, the Facebook, uh, the Facebook complaining solution, if you will. <laughs> so be part of the solution, be part of the problem mentality and getting, I don't know, just getting your hands dirty on this while may not resolve that, that issue that that nonprofit or that organization is trying to resolve, it's taken a step in the right direction. I just didn't talk about it. I got my hands dirty. I've done it. I understand more now than I did going into it of why it's an issue and maybe how to loop in other people so that way they see that same thing. So a good example for this is, uh, gosh, it was, it was a few, few years ago, two or three years ago when, when Baltimore had the huge storm. Mm-hmm. Right. And a friend of mine posted on Facebook, oh, man, I, I can't imagine how bad the homeless guys have it right now. God bless them. Good luck type of a thing. And I messaged him like, you know, man, that's a very good comment, but it doesn't take you anywhere from hitting, hitting the enter button. Why don't you meet me next Saturday in the city where we're actually going to be feeding the homeless and clothing them? Why don't you come and do that? Put your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. Uh, hesitant for him to do that. But at a certain point in time, he did it. Yeah. And the cool thing about this was he actually got back to me and he said, you know what? It, it felt like you were you were challenging me that you were saying that I don't do stuff when I say I do a type of type of thing that way. Yeah. He said, but what I realized from that is making that singular post on Facebook. Well, I thought it had an impact. It didn't. It did. But all of a no. sudden, giving someone uh, I don't know a plate full of macaroni and cheese while it is snowing and freezing cold out, all of a sudden you could see that that flame of uh, I don't know that that flame of motivation being passed from his to that homeless person, mm-hmm. literally through the warmth of the food itself. But all of a sudden, that impact this person had, how did you have an impact? Yeah. So why am I with certain places and how do I get there? I think it's really just having this, I don't know, desire to have an impact on things, not just being able to say that I've thought about it and I didn't like that idea or I've thought about it or I, I, I spoke to somebody about a conversation about it, but I actually put the hammer to the nail. I actually did something about it. Arguably, did, did my interaction do anything about it? Maybe not. Maybe, Maybe not. did. I don't Maybe know. Maybe did, sure. But did I actually say and do something? So the, the parallel to that is with my job and my career. I can't just say something. I need to help a client do it mm-hmm. in some method. And if I don't, what was the point of the conversation? What was the point, Jason? Hey, we've been sitting here for 45 minutes talking about your, your IRA portfolio but you didn't. You didn't actually do anything. You with didn't it. change anything. What was the with point it? of the conversation? Yeah. And I think that that's kind of gotten. I think that I think that's the impetus of why I'm doing things. Is I want to make sure that not only do I talk a good game, but I walk that game as well. Mm-hmm. If that's kind of get, gets back gets back to the the sometimes overused, but un, unjust unjustly so. I think the uh, the the. Overused quote from uh, Steve Jobs, where he talks about, you know, go, just to go out and make a dent in the world. Yeah. Don't just sort of go along. Like, don't make some sort of impact, as big or small as that is. But do something. Yeah. And, and that's don't just talk. Just do something. I think that I mean that the the, the <clears throat> purpose of these podcasts for the small moves is how does small actions make big impacts? So, mm-hmm. what was it? I mean, that's what was the thing? The like the butterfly effect. Mm-hmm. You know, how does it drop? Become a ripple wave? Blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Well, if if let's just say me personally, if I'm going to um, if I'm going to go to a friend's nonprofit, and I don't know if I can say nonprofit names or not for the podcast. Yeah, you can. can or not. Yeah, you can, um, you can say it. But Generosity Global, Generosity Global um, does Selfless Saturdays. 
every second Saturday of the month underneath of 83 where the food market is. Mm -hmm. It's very turnkey. You basically just show up, right? And when I first did that, I didn't really know what to expect or what to do. Mm -hmm. But five minutes into it, I was immersed. So a line of 300 homeless people, men, women, and children passing by you saying, thank you, how's your day, blah, blah, blah. Me actually giving them that food, that that was the rubber hitting the road. Versus, say, for example, just just talking about it or making a check donation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made me feel good. But no, this was so much more tangible. It makes you feel good for a second. It makes you feel good for a second yeah. or maybe even longer, depending upon your personality. Sure. But this, this got me immersed in that. And what that does is that that immersion, in my mind, gave me the, the passion to talk to you about it. Hey, Jason, I just did this thing. It was really cool. Next time we go, do you want to come do with Do you want to come? And all of a sudden, the singularity of just me doing this turned into two people, three people, five people. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, that making that dent in the world just by one person doing it, now all of a sudden, it's not one person. Now it's five. Now there's a team of 50 people doing this thing. Is it ending this issue? No. But all of a sudden, now there's 50 people talking about the same cause. And all of a sudden, a certain social spider web is going to connect at certain dots. The right people can connect within that spider web, and all of a sudden, the 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 impact that that singular event has done, the multiple of that, mm-hmm. that's going to blow it out. So, being with different organizations and working with them in their different aspects and their different lights, I, I again from the Venn diagram standpoint, I start seeing where connections are happening. So, you know, Joe Smith over at this organization and Mary, Mary Jones over here, you guys should talk because you're actually doing the exact same thing mm-hmm. for, for different organizations. But your, your momentum, your, your focus is going in the same direction. You guys should really just sit down and talk. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting thing where for different organizations and I'll, I'll, from, from a homelessness standpoint, I actually had a, a, a meeting at the club here a few years ago. And it was uh, myself acting as a proxy for, at the time, it was a friend of the homeless, but Generosity Global now. Okay. Them, Healthcare for the Homeless, and uh, Restoration Housing, I think it was. But essentially three organizations okay. that are purposed for homelessness. For roughly the same. Roughly thing. the same thing. Ballparking this, right? And as I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm, I'm my, 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 uh, my world of homelessness has just sort of been hearing it from other people. I don't know. Sure. I'm not in that field. I'm not in that business. Sure. You know, I volunteer sometimes. So I'm sitting there as a proxy. And I'm listening to these two other folks talk about this. And I stopped. Them. I was like, it's interesting that three of us, me as a proxy, are sitting here talking about this same effective goal that we're all working towards. Have you guys ever sat together before and talked about this? Have you ever actually, uh, you know, the Ghostbusters things, have you ever crossed the streams mm-hmm. to put your powers together? And the answer was no. Other than one one time I'll say is that there the convention center did a thing for homeless, I forget what it was called, but that's where a lot of the organizations came together. But other than that, these three people have never spoken They've never about the same end goal. So I asked them, I was like, so let me ask you this question. Let's just say Joe's, Joe Homeless Smith goes through my friend's food line, gets some food, gets some clothes. And this is right under 83, right by the where the food market is, mm-hmm. which is literally next door to healthcare for the homeless. Literally right next door, right? So, okay. So Joe Smith goes to his line, gets some food. Let's just assume the day and time all work out where this could actually work. Sure. Goes to the line, gets his food, gets his clothing. Could he go actually come into the doors of healthcare for the homeless, get service there, you know, wow. healthcare, dental, whatever they may have there, and then go back to this restoration facility? Could, could that same person theoretically hit all three of the points of this triangle? And the answer was, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
Abstractly, yes, that could happen. Yeah, you just need, the staffing had to be there. It had to be there. There's certain little things that would have prohibited this. You know, the naysayers would say, oh, that couldn't have happened, this. But the interesting thing was, so why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you carve out time of your month or quarter to collaborate and say, you know, we've noticed that healthcare for the homeless, that, I don't know, something. When you're, when you're doing your, the food drives, could you maybe help facilitate telling them mm-hmm. to come over? Um, and what I, what I learned from this, asking this question, the answer so roughly being, no, we've never had that ability to do this. Maybe it was for time. Maybe it was for, uh, you know, competing nonprofit grants and funding. I was about, I was that about to think stuff. that maybe, maybe that was the driving force. Like found, we're all competing for the same dollars. We're all competing for the same dollar or, or, uh, or help. <clears throat> and what I found was that a very interesting thing is different definitions of homelessness all of a sudden occur. So, for example, a definition of homelessness could be uh, a couch surfer. Mm-hmm. That person just goes from house to house, but he's technically not homeless by this organization's definition, yeah. but it is by this definition. Yeah. And that's all of a sudden. He doesn't personally own a piece of real estate. Correct. Therefore, he's homeless. You got but it. But this one, he's like, but he's sleeping indoors. You got it. Into the roof of someone that he yeah. knows. So, you see, no, he's not. You see how the, those definitions are all of a sudden putting up barriers, mm-hmm. right? So, where I'm. We don't service that population. Mm-hmm. We service this, this population. One. Got it. Even though it's the same population. But by me going back and saying, well, I've, I'm involved in this organization and I've talked with folks from this organization trying to get them connected, that in my mind, it, it's allowing me to bring together those people that may not have talked to each other before. And that, I find that rewarding to say, you know what? I didn't really do anything other than Jason, you and Stacey should talk. You need to talk. Yeah. Figure something out. Cause I think it's, I think you guys have a lot of parallel ideas and different things. And I find that rewarding because mm-hmm. all that would be the, again, the analogy that I would make for myself is Jason, you're a client of mine. You need to get, uh, I don't know, your will done and maybe your mortgage reviewed. Why don't I just accommodate a meeting amongst all of your professionals and get the stuff done? In the same room. Versus like, or, yeah. in, the, in the exact same. Let's, let's get the stuff done that needs to get done versus send you there, send you there. Because at a certain point in time, in your efforts to get your will done, mm. you may have the time to go talk to the attorney, but maybe you don't have the time to all of a sudden remember or do something else. Your calendar all of a sudden prohibits you getting done the stuff that you need to get done because you got travel time you've got kids yeah. you've got yeah so so i guess I've, I've just found the ability to focus in on where i think not only where i think i could be the most impactful but do i believe in that cause as well mm-hmm. and if i've been approached by someone that says john hey would you be part of this be part of this organization in some form or fashion mm-hmm. the answer that i typically give is well tell me more about it help me understand a bit why 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 should why? I be involved yeah. in this yeah. Uh, and that's happened a couple of different times. And the answer that I tend to get is open arms. Yeah. Let us tell you why. Let us help us understand what you what you would be getting out of this, how you'd be helping and, and going down the path. But I don't know. That's I could probably ramble on about that forever. Sure. And and that's feel feel free to do so. Where it was like the, 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 it's like it's like no nobody's making me short in this podcast. But no, the <clears throat> The sad thing that I that, that I've encountered too, mm. and I'm sure you've encountered this as well. Not, and this is maybe something that the the nonprofit sector needs to work on a little bit. Sometimes they're not that great at communicating that information, or like maybe the maybe the manager of the office is great at communicating that information, but the the staff or the accounting you know, the directors might not be, or like the volunteers aren't, but the staff say, is. And when you say information, what do you mean? 
like, John, how can you help us? Okay. He's like, John, like, I'd, lo- I'd love you to come and help my nonprofit organization. How can you help? He's like, well, I know you do pretty well for yourself. Mm-hmm. It would really be great if you could help us raise $5,000. Sure. Why? Right. I agree. Crickets. Like, or, or if not crickets, it takes them a while to come up with a good answer. And I'm like, you've got to hone that message. You've got to hone your message. You need, you need to, because if you're, if you're asking people to basically work at a financial negative mm-hmm. in one way or the other, you're asking me to come and volunteer and work for free effectively, or you're asking me to not work, but to give you money. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to communicate to me why. What's, what is the why? Like, what is the why? How is my helping going to help? Like, that's something that I always found interesting when comparing different organizations and the strategy of impact for different organizations. Mm-hmm. There, and th- this this example can be used in the grandest of scales, all the way down to the smallest community nonprofits. Is the ones that have a goal of on the ground, rubber hit the road, fix this problem. Versus the ones that are much more sort of broad focused, Mm -hmm. let's cure cancer, let's cure heart disease. Well, what does that mean? Well, we're going to fund research or what kind of research? Lots of different research. Versus, say, for example, I I, I love to use the Bill Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation as a perfect example. They're the grandest of grand. They're the biggest nonprofit in the world, as far as I know. Please don't correct me on the website. Um, but their, their strategy, yes, they're into a lot of different things, but their strategy is we're going to work on malaria. Mm. We're going to funnel $2 trillion to fixing malaria in the next five years and then move on to the next thing. Stop funding that and then move on to the next thing once it's fixed rather than a lot of the bigger nonprofits and even the smaller nonprofits. It's just, you know, we want to help the homeless. What does that mean? Well, there's food. Well, there's blankets. Well, there's housing. Well, there's healthcare. Well, yes, all of those things are important. Mm -hmm. But if you contribute $5 to a person's monthly budget in each of those five categories, in each of those five or six categories, you're going to have zero real impact in any one category. You're not going to do anything for them. You know, it's like five, it's like $5 meal a month isn't going to stop someone from starving to death. But it might, if you amplify that to forty to fifty dollars just for that one thing, combined with fifty other people that are doing the same thing, it could make a legitimate impact on that one issue. Are there still problems elsewhere? Sure, but other people can focus on other things. Like, but if you need to be able to communicate what your help, what your money, and what your time is actually accomplishing, you know, it's it's interesting to say that. I, and I think, in my opinion on this, is I think that from individuals volunteering for organizations and asking those questions help the staff and the leadership of those organizations realize that they are so immersed and saturated in that nonprofit Mm -hmm. that sometimes they overlook the obvious answers Mm -hmm. that they've overlooked. They know the purpose. They know the purpose purpose because they see it, but they have trouble communicating because they've gotten their, the, the, the the wording so niched Mm -hmm. that they forgot how a person that doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. I don't work. I don't work thing. in the healthcare industry. I have no earthly idea what you're talking about when it comes to the issues that the homeless deal with with healthcare on the street, living on the streets. You know, I don't know it. Whereas you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. If right. you talk to a doctor, it's a different story. And sometimes I think it's certain nonprofits, as you know, are not the the cuddly puppy dog nonprofits. Yeah, they're they're 
goals or what they're working towards ending are a bit darker. Mm-hmm. You know, so domestic violence, homelessness, you name it, those type of things to market that type of stuff. How do you market that? Yeah, it's not it's not a cocktail it's not cocktail conversation. Right. It's like so, let's yeah. So unless you actually have uh, an already embedded, experienced um, passion around that, mm-hmm. what's the dangling carrot to get me involved? What is it? Yeah, and that's that's what I've noticed that when I've asked that question to nonprofits that are not on the darker side of nonprofits, but not the cuddly ones. Sure. What's your message to folks that don't get it? but maybe would be open to getting it if you kind of package that in the right way. How do you do that? Yeah, if you speak the right way, yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. And that's that's the interesting thing where all of a sudden that person I asked, you could see you could see the blank in their eyes, but you could also see how the wheels spinning like, I I want to say something. They know it's a good question. They, they know it's a good question. They don't know how to answer it. Yep. And they that's, that's where all of a sudden that, I think that volunteerism, not only are you working and helping an organization do its thing, but you're asking those questions, you're making them think differently. So mm-hmm. if you're on a board someplace, by, by being vocal and asking the question, well, why are we doing this again? Or help me understand how this is going to attract folks that aren't already in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. What about the ancillary folks that, for example, I want to get involved, I want to volunteer for something, but I don't have the time for it. How do you encourage that person to make the time for it? If you can't dangle that carrot in front of them in the right way to get them interested in taking a bite to take time out of the day to do it. Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. Which that I think that's that that's the draw for me that I find as interesting as is possible. That if I'm doing something and I can convey to you over a cocktail conversation, this is why I did it, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden the staff and the, the message that that nonprofit has gotten is all of a sudden being filtered through my lens mm-hmm. in, a, in a different light. Yeah. And I think that's something that a lot now of places audience. could be capitalized on. Yeah. Share your experience. And that goes down the testimonial aspect of stuff. Mm-hmm. Don't let us tell us the message. Let your customers or your consumers or whatever it may be. Yeah. You tell the message. You know it better than we do. Yeah. And, and, and of course, from, from, from coming from, and that, that works out great because if you think about it from the perspective of if, if you're, if you work for a nonprofit and you're coming to me to tell me about all the great things that the nonprofit does, of course you're going to say that. Yeah. You're gonna you're getting kind of paycheck. You drank too much. Yeah, it's like of course you. Yeah, of course you're gonna say that. Like I want to hear. Like in my case, me being Jason, mm-hmm. I want to hear it from you, John, right. who has a job doing other things and could be making a hell of a lot more money dedicating the time that you spend doing those things mm-hmm. back to your not back to your professional career. Yeah. But you're choosing to do this at. Can see in some cases a negative a net loss sure. to your business. It's, Why are you doing this? Your your statement means a hell of a lot more to me than somebody that works for that nonprofit. Right. As wonderful and as passionate as those people are, their 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 answers might be a little diluted, or not necessarily diluted. Yes, they might be diluted, but they're not necessarily diluted. It's not what I'm going for. I'm thinking more that they they have they. They're personal, and to, let's 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 assign the worst possible motivations to somebody mm. for a second. This person draws a paycheck from that organization. If that organization doesn't raise money, that person might get fired because mm. they don't need five five development people anymore. Now they can only afford three. Right. So, yes, do they believe in the do they believe in the cause because they're working there? Sure, I hope so. I hope that's the case. But I always have to wonder when you're talking with somebody that works for a nonprofit that's drawing the salary from the nonprofit. 
why are they like, is their motivation because they want to keep their job or is the motivation the cause? Because, you know, and I don't want to, that's, that's assigning the worst possible motivations to people. I know that is not the case near remotely close to a lion's share of the time, but that question is always there in your head because, and whether it's, you know, whether it's subconscious or otherwise, that question's always there in their head. But when somebody like you comes along and says, you need to get involved. I want you to get involved in this organization with me because of this. Why? You can tell me why. Right. You know. So here, here's an interesting thing that I, and again, going back to the, the Venn diagram uh, image in my mind is. Can I pause for a second? Sure. You've mentioned, you've mentioned that term mm-hmm. six, six times so far. For anybody that's listening that doesn't know what on earth you're talking about with a Venn diagram, can you explain that? Uh, I would, uh, concept A, B and C, mm-hmm. where they, those three visual circles have overlapped to mm-hmm. form, I don't know, section D yep. in the middle where those three overlapping circles converge. have overlapped where they've converged. That's kind of in my mind, well, Venn diagram poorly explained, look it up, Wikipedia it or Google it if you, if you need to. But I, that's where I find that Venn diagram, that sweet spot in the middle. That's my motivation. How Got am it. I pulling things together? Got it. Okay. Um, so, so, sorry, continue. My, my thought process in, in that Venn diagram vein that we've very well articulated right now what that means <laughs> is, is where I'm drawing a lot of different things from. So let's say, for example, if in my field working as a financial planner, if you ask me, Jason, what do you do? Oh, I'm in finance, right? Or I do this. How boring and simple and cut and dry is that? <laughs> but if a person says at a networking event or what have you, what do you do? What's your answer? I could blow up eight different things that I do this, I do that, I do this, I do that. But what I find is that actually when I'm volunteering someplace, let's say, for example, uh, perfect example. Let's say, for example, one one day, uh, one Saturday morning, my office was volunteering at the Maryland Food Bank. And I just so happened to be in the back, mm-hmm. kind of where the boxes were coming through. And I had to break the boxes open and put them on the conveyor belt and this and that. At a certain point in time, the person out front was saying, hey, stop, slow down. The people out front here are getting a little over. They're getting inundated with everything. And I had a chance to talk to a guy next to me. And he said, what do you do? What do I do? That type of stuff. And all of a sudden where he said, I don't know, I'm a computer programmer. And I said, I'm a financial planner. Interestingly enough, guess what we both had in common? Guess. We're both at the Maryland Food Bank. We're both volunteering for this cause. So all of a sudden, that parallel and commonality allowed us to connect. So my point for this is this, is that it shouldn't be a sole motivation, just like you were saying for those folks that are working for nonprofits. It shouldn't be a sole motivation to make uh, money from this or Mm -hmm. business from this. But guess what I got from that day of volunteering at the Maryland Food Bank? Talking to this guy. I got a client. I was going to say you probably got so a guess client. So guess what happened? Yeah. So all of a sudden, those two circles of that Venn diagram, business, me being there as business and volunteering, they came together and connected. All of a sudden, that volunteerism allowed me just so happened to be on the same level of this person. We, we struck an accord with each other. He trusted me. I trusted him. Mm-hmm. Common interests. Let's work together. Tell me more <laughs> about what you do. And I find I've, I've found that as a, uh, I guess, as a win-win. Sure. That... If a person says, how do you make time for doing what you do? Well, there's got to be a win-win. Mm-hmm. There's got to be something there. There's got to be some level of motivation somewhere within that. Sure. What is that? Let's identify it. So sure. for me, and again, not to be selfish with this, but as I'm volunteering, doing something, the question is naturally going to come up. What do you do? Sure. What do course. you do? 
And the answer is, well, this is what I do. Right now, right now I'm shoveling produce out of a box, but I'm assuming that's not that's not you do, <laughs> right. I'm assuming that's not what you do right. all day long. What do you do with the rest of your time? And that's that's kind of where all of a sudden that interesting overlap of worlds come together. Yeah. Is that that person may not have any interest in my career life, mm-hmm. but maybe they do. Yeah. Maybe they've been sitting there, um, they've been researching folks, they've been wanting to talk to somebody, but they don't trust who they've been being introduced to. And all of a sudden this one guy is sitting there helping them sort food or uh, helping food feed the homeless. And all of a sudden they found this person that, wow, you know what? He's just not business. This is, he has a different tangent to his life. And that's all of a sudden where it comes together. I find that very interesting. That's great. How, how many times, how many times have you gotten involved in an organization or have, I guess I should say others gotten you involved in the organizations that you've, worked with where maybe that was the starting point, like the business side was the starting point and then it ended up the other way around. Like there, like that was, that was a great example of how your nonprofit work ended up potentially benefiting your business. Like, but if you're, you're, you're obviously, like I've said earlier, your face seems to be everywhere, you know, around here. It's like, how, how involved were you with people that were say on the business side that said, I think it would be great for you to get involved in this, but then you see, like, you end up seeing an incredible personal benefit out of what ended up potentially just being sort of a marketing thing. It's like, hey, my number one, my number one client is a big supporter of this organization. Hey, John, it would be great if you bought a table at this, right? But then you ended up getting involved in an organization that you ended up loving. Like, what? Do you have an example of that? You know, I think the reality is that there's got to be that win-win. I I can't say that there's been a time that someone just said solely based upon me knowing you through your business, do something there. That may have been the the beginning part of the conversation, Mm -hmm. but then the next obvious question is why, why, why should I, why should I devote time or effort or money into this thing that you're asking me to do? Tell me why I should do this. And if that answer was more so, I don't know, uh, more business related than the win-win related? The answer is no. I don't really have time or time to do that. If the answer was, well, you know, tell me some more about what you're asking me to do. Why should I, why should I be involved in that? Why should my face, what can I personally do to, why why should I be involved in this? Um, So that is is in a sense of my, uh, the question that would be coming from in my mind is my own personal branding. Why should my personal brand be part of that. Mm-hmm. And that's truly what it is. I mean, my business has a personal brand. Sure. My philanthropy has a per- personal brand. Why am I, why am I involved in things? Mm-hmm. And I think if that, if all of a sudden that brand gets attached to something in a non, I don't know, I'm thinking the word ethical, but a non ethical. I'd say, I'd say, I'd almost yeah, say authentic. Yeah. Uh, in, in a non true mannerism, then it's going to come out clear why it's happening. And people can read that very quickly. Yes, they can. So I, I, I've had people ask me to do stuff before solely because they're like, hey, I know you from the club. Or I know you from this aspect of your life. And I'd like to, uh, to leverage that. Mm-hmm. I'd, like it, I'd like you to, to, uh, to leverage your contacts and help us raise X amount of dollars. That's a very selfish request. Yes, it is. But if I can say, you know what, you know, stop for a second. You're asking me to ask people to donate money or give money to your organization or whatever, whatever it may be, help me understand why, why I've had that happen. Um, so just to throw out some other names for organizations I work with, I was actually out, um, on the lady Maryland, which is a schooner okay. as part of living classrooms, living classrooms foundation where I've been working with them. Big fan. Uh, my friend, Laura, she knows me somewhat well. 
Uh, I was sitting there, I think on like the life preserver box, but just sitting there talking to my girlfriend, Kelsey, looking out at the water. I don't know. And Laura came up to me, double fisted, two beers and said, hey, John, can I talk to you? Well, she knows me pretty well. I took a beer and went and talked with her. <laughs> She's like, John, what, I, what I'd like you to do is, I, is I'm going to ask you um, if you'd be interested in being um, on the host committee uh, for Baltimore Leadership School for Young Women for their Empower Breakfast. I have no idea what a host committee means. And yeah. quite frankly, I don't know what an Empower Breakfast is. And I barely know what this Baltimore Leadership School for Young Women is. Barely even know. Yeah. So I told her, I was like, you know, I appreciate the ask. I don't know the answers to these questions. Mm-hmm. What, what are you asking me to do? Yeah. And she told me a little bit more about what it was. I said, well, let me, let me do this. If I'm going to kind of put, and this wasn't the wording I said, but the roundabout way of saying it, if I'm going to put my personal brand or my stamp of approval, what I'm going to do, I need to know more. So why don't we schedule a date where I can do a site visit? I'd like to visit the school get a tour, understand what you're asking me to do. So that way, if I ask someone for a thousand bucks for this empowerment breakfast Mm -hmm. and they ask me why I can give a true answer, not the brochure answer. Here you go. So she did. We scheduled time. uh, I forget what it was, but we scheduled time to go to the school. I actually took myself, a friend and another friend in the actual education world. Okay. We went and we went into her office. We said hello to her, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden these two girls showed up. Um, I don't even know, juniors or they were, they weren't basically part of the staff. They were students of the school. Okay. And Laura said, I'll see you in 45 minutes. And all of a sudden these two girls walked us around, right? Oh, wow. Showed us every part of the school, explained stuff to us, answered our questions. They didn't, I could not have talked the way that these girls talked at that same age. Just the way they articulated stuff, their confidence level was out of this world. I, Nudged my friend next to me. I'm like, this is ridiculous how awesome these girls are <laughs> at this age. And she's like, yeah, right, I know. So we took the tour of the school and I learned so much about it. So that way, if I asked a person, said, hey, Jason, there's this empowerment breakfast. It's a hundred bucks, uh, you know, a hundred bucks a plate. Can I count you in? Sure. The question why? And all of a sudden that, that visual of touring that school that came out as words. And that person was like, yep. I'll see you you there. Sure, sure, see you there. So that to answer your question in a very, very, very roundabout way, if someone does approach me, or I would say any of any of your listeners, in that one tangent view, there's got to be a reason why. And if there isn't that win-win, the Venn diagram aspect of stuff, Mm. I think the answer is pretty apparent that you don't do it. No, because you you can see where that's leading down. All of a sudden, the 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 benefit becomes being used. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, that person just used you for yeah. that, and that that was that that was my experience a while back when I was a lot more active than I am now in in the different different nonprofit scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, once you are seen as helping with this organization, then the questions start coming from every direction. Yep. It's like, like almost almost to say, it's like, oh, we got one. Yep. Like we's like yep. like to go back to your your similar similar to your Ghostbusters analogy from earlier. It's like, hey, we got one. Right. You know, it's like the like we've got one. Uh, we've got one that's willing. We've got a live one. Yeah, we got one that's willing to put out money. We got one that's willing to put it out time. Who cares what the cause is? It's like we finally got that. Right. Bo- we finally found someone that's f- flipped that switch in right. their head. It's like, oh my god, they're willing to do volunteer work. Oh, they're looking to ge- yep. generate money. And they kind of almost just look at those people as a cash register. It's yeah. like, oh, this person can raise money. For what? Doesn't matter. This person can raise money. Yeah. It does matter. Like it does matter. And yeah. you, you become you and if you do go down that route and you're going You become it, a commodity. You become a commodity. And if I can tell the if I can say anything to the audience about anything, it's that as a takeaway is 
when you're if you're getting involved in stuff that's outside of your scope of work, specifically in the nonprofit sector, that you need to be aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it and know how to say no. It's like know to ask the right questions and know that even after you get answers to these questions, know that it's still okay to say no. Because you're going to be getting asked from everywhere. It's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. If you're like, if you're seen in any way, shape, or form to be in public and active with a nonprofit, you're going to be getting requests from 50 different nonprofits to get involved with that. Many of which of causes that might be perfectly valid and perfectly good causes, but that you just don't care about. Yeah. It's like, and maybe you don't care because the mission hasn't been communicated to you properly. Maybe you don't care because you've got a political opinion that makes you not necessarily care about the the group being targeted by that nonprofit or whatever the reason is. Or maybe you just don't care to put your time towards that. Maybe you've already devoted your time and calendar to other endeavors. To something this, else. And that 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 uh that piece of the pie just doesn't fit. Yeah. The answer is no. Sorry. Yeah. Maybe next year. Yeah, maybe next year. Circle back to circle back to me in January after after the holidays, and I'll see you know I'll see or whatever it is. And know that it's okay to say those things, but if you are going to do that, be sincere about doing that. Yeah. Don't just say talk to me next year when you don't mean talk to me next year. When you really mean I don't care about your cause. Maybe not say hey. I don't care about your cause, but be definitive. I'm sorry, this isn't this isn't an area that I'm interested in right now because I'm focused on this. It's like that first organization that you saw me being publicly active with, that's the one that I really care about. I don't want to lessen my dedication to them so that I can do something else. Yeah, so I think from a, from a small move standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, I think I think volunteering and finding the time to do that, that should be done in small increments. Mm-hmm. Don't overwhelm yourself because all of a sudden the efforts you're going to try to do for both sides of the fence, business and, and volunteerism, they're going to get everything's, hurt. Everything's going to suffer. And, and yeah. maybe you find the one that you do commit to. This mm-hmm. is the one that I can give X amount of time to and define what X amount of time means or X amount of money or X amount of effort. Mm-hmm. But don't take that further than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Make the small moves. Charge as long as you need to. Mm-hmm. Or if, if you're being asked to fundraise realize plateaus you know if you've never fundraised before you know while three thousand bucks might seem like a very easy goal it's a very daunting task it's a daunting task until you learn what's how to do stuff and it's Mm -hmm. small moves sometimes those small moves they build and all of a sudden the momentum builds from there sometimes the small moves should have been larger moves Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden you realize and that's where you learn from that experience yeah and you you learn in the only way you learn from that experience is taking those initial steps yeah and that's i think that's that's the one of the hardest parts and that that circles back to what you're asking is how do you do this stuff where do you get involved what's the next steps i think the biggest thing is there's there's so many places out there to get involved Mm -hmm. that in a sense is almost too much there's too much. What, where do I go? Where, where do, do I, I start? Go? It's like there's so like like to 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 take the full bleeding heart perspective is like my God, there's so much suffering in every yeah. direction, yep. and everybody says yep. that they all need help. My God, where do I there's start? There's a commercial for everybody. Yes, but I, I think that I mean that's that's kind of where it comes down to people that you you know and trust from personal and business. If mm-hmm. you see Jason working with the organization, there's got to be a reason why. Mm-hmm. And maybe you just ask the question. Jason, mm-hmm. why are you working with this organization? Why? Oh, my God. Let me tell you. Let me, it's like, let my me, God, tell, let you me tell you about it. Yeah. And, and, but then even from that, if that person tells you why they're working with the organization, 
on, on the, the hearing part of that answer, you can kind of tell all of a sudden why Jason is working with that nonprofit. Is Jason working with it for strictly, I might get a client out of it? Sure. Is, are you working for it for that purpose? And that person who's hearing that answer is either going to be like, oh, I could get a client out of it too and go down that angle with you or say, hey, you know what? Eh. I don't want to work with that organization because of how this is. So I, I think that that goes down to the root of volunteerism. Why are you involved? That's a great point. Yeah, and when it comes when it comes to finding the time for it, there's a great there's a great quote by uh, Tim Ferriss that talks about that. Is that if you it do, it's not necessarily targeted to nonprofit, but it's very applicable to this conversation. Is that if you don't have time, you don't have priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if 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 trying to accomplish something with the time that you've got. You know, there's these very few years that we've got, you know, that we're all given. It's like if you don't prioritize what you want to accomplish, you're not going to accomplish it. You have no management of your yourself and you have no priorities if you can't find the time to do the things that you want to do. Yeah. So it wasn't in that little book, but that's how you're rich. Yeah. You, you had time to vest to someone else. Yeah. If you if you as a person got something out of it that relates to your business or your career or your world. Mm-hmm. So much even the better. Right. That's a, that's the win-win. Sure. But I think that's how a person could define themselves when their deathbed of whatever age that deathbed might be. Mm-hmm. They lived a wealthy life. Yeah. You know, maybe they don't have the assets or they don't have the cool toys, but they can step back and say, you know what? I did that. Mm-hmm. I helped with that with that cause and I gave my all towards it. Mm-hmm. And it was true and it wasn't fake. Yep. It's like, no, nobody, nobody ever rolled over on their deathbed and said, man, I wish I would have done it less. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yeah. Um, yeah, John, I think that's a great place to wrap up. One last quick question that I have and I ask for all the guests, mm-hmm. and this could be something that could be specific to our topic of conversation, whether it be finance or career development or nonprofit, but it could really apply to anything. Mm-hmm. Um, what purchase have you made in recent memory mm-hmm. of $100 or less that's had the most dramatic impact on something in your life? It could be... You know, a billing system for a client, it could be a great new pair of shoes, it could be, you know, it could really be anything. Like, what do you think is an example of something that's made a significant impact on your life that didn't necessarily break the bank? Sure. Uh, so while you were asking that, I was getting up and, and grabbing my, my suit coat. I noticed. I wasn't uh, sure what you were doing there. I was like, am, so I, am I about to die? To answer your question, uh, lapel pin. <laughs> What is that? That, that? Well, it's a lapel pin. Okay. Um, it's a lapel pin that I bought, uh, donated, frankly, uh, $25 to, to my friend's nonprofit, Ortis Academy. Ortis Academy. Ordi- and that's Ortis Academy? Yes, O-R-T-U-S okay. Academy. Okay. I'll link it in the show notes. They basically teach um, in a game, fun format, financial literacy to children. So... My career, I'm in finance, so sure. I find that interesting. I, I find volunteering and helping children learn about stuff. I find that very interesting. I like lapel pins. <laughs> so while, I always notice that you wear lapel pins a lot. Yeah, yeah that's the, the lapel pin. The answer to your question, that was the one that I think in recent history has meant the most most to me because mm-hmm. it kind of covered so many different angles and facets for me. Okay, it covered finance. I like finance. I'm into that. Okay. I volunteered. Fortis Academy at Loyola. I sat there and helped. I answered the children's questions. I wasn't able to give them the answer, but if they asked me a question, I could help create where they were going. Mm-hmm. So that was helpful. But I think the most the most thing is that it also pulled in fashion. 
So that lapel pin, people are going to notice that and say, what is that? And then all of a sudden, guess what? There's a story about that. So I think, and maybe I wore that lapel pin on purpose for this conversation. I don't know, or maybe it's just the one that I grabbed. But that's the most recent that I think has the most impact in so many different facets that I can point to to say, you know what? This means this, and this is how I got it, and it's directed me this way. And I see uh, a conversation that you and I could have. Why don't you come volunteer with me that way? So, got it. Long story short. Very cool. John, I appreciate it. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. Um, I really enjoyed that chat with John. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. Uh, really quick before you take off, go ahead and follow me on Twitter. You can find me at Jason Hertzberger. Or I'd like to hear your thoughts about the flow of this conversation and sort of what you thought about how it went, because I'd like to get more guests on the show that have more of a community focus like John, and I'd love to hear your takes of who that might be. So if you have any suggestions for that, go ahead and go over to the community Facebook page at smallmoves.co forward slash community. You can, that'll take you directly to the Facebook page. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast, and I will talk to you next week. Have a great weekend. You've got this.